Peanuts Gallery is brought to you by Russell Anderson. Russell Anderson. He's very honored to be running for student body president. If he's elected, he promises to do the best he can. Thank you. Paid for by citizens for Russell Anderson. I think that he would make a better president than I would. Once I have written a theme song, it will go here. This is Peanuts Gallery. I'm Molly Lewis. And I'm Josh A. Kagan. Today we're talking about You're Not Elected, Charlie Brown, from October 1972, right before the big election. And this one is, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of just like slightly burnt toast, I think. It was a pretty... <laughs> well, after after things in cans and rock and roll music and all of the all of the insanity of uh, our last episode, uh, <laughs> they, had to, they had to mellow it out a little bit. Yeah, this is real. It's real chill. Here's a little uh, fun fact about it, uh, depending on what your definition of fun is, and this is according to Wikipedia. It first aired under the title "You're Elected, Charlie Brown," and then Charles Schultz was like. After it aired, oh, we should change the title because not only is he not elected, but he doesn't run. So for the rest of the time that it has been rerun, they put in a little carrot and they fixed their own mistake. But again, it goes to my theory that like, I think they might have just been like, this was like some kind of early Twitch stream technology where they were just animating the episode and somehow it just went live to television. Oh yeah. Like I've actually been kind of kicking around with regard to these, these early specials and we're actually not as early. We've gone through the whole sixties now, Yeah. but the, the thing I've been sort of kicking around is like, you know, Occam's razor is the simplest explanation is the most likely one. And Hanlon's razor is never attribute to malice what you can attribute to stupidity. And so what I've been playing with is Mendelssohn's razor, which is <laughs> never attribute to stupidity what you can attribute to a low blandishment budget. <laughs> <laughs> but surely they had money to do this now. They, they've they been doing these specials for nigh on, you know, just about 10 years or so. They've had movies. And yet when it comes to some of these specials, it's just sort of like, uh, what's in the garbage can? That? All right, point a camera at it. Well, and it's with the um, boy named Charlie Brown, you could measure like by we can look on the Wikipedia page and go, oh, that did really well. It did well at the box office. We have no measurement of how well these did. It's just kind of like a fart into the wind, you know. <laughs> it seems to me this special's like a fart into the, the wind. wind. <laughs> Produced and blandished by Bill Mendelssohn. Uh, Melendez. It's not Mendel. Wait, who's Mendelssohn? Lee Mendelssohn. There's Bill Melendez and Lee Mendelssohn. Oh, Melendez. That confused I, me as a kid. And, yes, their ship name was, of course, Melendelssohn. <laughs> Aww. Oh. Just I half heard. of a half of a mustache on their little. <laughs> and fan art. Synopsis: <laughs> A boy runs for student body president. A girl can't open her locker. Also, a dog wears sunglasses and prepares himself a well balanced breakfast. Although not at the same time. Synopsis. <laughs> it's a thin gruel indeed, blockheads. This is, there's not a lot that happens in this episode. Well, like, from the get-go, you know that Charlie Brown is not elected. So that's one thing on the table. Although that's it. Like, well, like I was blabbering about before, uh, I wonder if people were super confused when they first saw this episode, when it was your elected Charlie Brown, and people were like, he... 
none of that happened. Boo! Like, I wonder if there were like angry phone calls to the TV station. Well, I, I mean, well, the the episode prior to this one and the special prior to "You're Not Elected" was "Play It Again, Charlie Brown," which features almost no Charlie Brown at all. So, I mean, it seems he's a figurehead. He always has been in the Peanuts empire of merchandise and products. I wonder I wonder if, like, his Q ratings were down or something. If, like, at CBS, they were like, yeah, you know, we need him for his name, but let's just sort of move him to the background. Let's not – nobody wants to see this kid feel sorry for himself. This is the 70s. This is the feel-good me generation. Well, I don't think anybody would have – like, if the special was called Your Elected Linus Van Pelt, like, I just don't – it does it not the same the same musicality the uh, same cachet the sa- I, speaking of musicality i cannot wait to talk about the theme song but first we got to talk about the cold open yes nothing happens this is the <laughs> most in a group of series known for having unimpressive cold opens this is the unimpressivest i like like my i don't know how your reaction was when you were watching it molly but my jaw was on the floor here's what happens uh there's a shot of the school and you hear like birds chirping and my note for that was like it's like a horror movie opening almost like it's like oh the school and just the sounds of nature. And then the doors open and the school, and you and I have the same note on this. What happens to the school, Molly? The doors just vomit forth a bunch of children, just a, a <laughs> tourist. <laughs> I know they're. An unending mass of humanity, of childish humanity. Poor, a stampede. Like, that It's a stampede <laughs> of children. Like somebody just pulled the lever on the slot machine that is the elementary school and got three cherries and just, you won, you won all the children. <laughs> and they're cheering and they're excited, but not Sally Brown. No, no, no. Sally Brown walking behind the kids in a conoclast. A, a, a river unto herself, an island unto herself, some landmass surrounded by water, unto, an isthmus unto. Let me get my thesaurus. <laughs> and we see her like walking home and she's pissed. And then she gets to her house. She slams the door. Opening credits. You've written for the television and the silver screen. Like, what is a cold open supposed to do? A cold open is. So if you're doing a cold open, a cold open is supposed to get you psyched and intrigued about what's going to happen and then keep you through either like the commercial break or the opening credit sequence. But it's supposed to be like, all right, like you're not supposed to be like standing on your couch going, what's going to happen? And your face is like painted (laughs) in the the channel's colors and you're holding a big foam finger that says television. Um, Although now I'm I'm only going to watch TV like that. A big foam NBC peacock on your hand. Television. But you should be, you should be hooked in. And that is a thing that the Peanuts uh, television special universe does not believe in. I suppose maybe they'd be like, people will be are going to think, oh, why is Sally so mad? But it's only like 13 seconds of Sally being mad before we find out. It slams right into the opening credit sequence, which is a nanosecond long, but just long enough for the theme song to this special to worm its way into my heart and ears for time immemorial. 
I'm debating even putting it in because, like, I almost texted you, like, no, not more garbage songs. I can't, I can't right now with the garbage it's, songs. It's the garbagest. It makes it makes the "You're in Love" Charlie Brown theme sound like a, a brilliant, heartbreaking work of genius. Uh, like this, it can I can I just sing it? Sure, yeah. Because that's all I've been doing for the month since I've listened to it. I, I've just been walking around the house going, You're elected, Charlie Brown. You're the biggest man in town. Tell me, how do you like it now? That's the part. That's the part that destroys me. <laughs> like, Charlie Brown is, like, looking – like, his family's been kidnapped or something, or he is being blackmailed. Tell me. You know what it reminds me of? What's that? It reminds me of, they're coming to take me away. Ha ha, he he, ha ha. It's that, but with children? Yeah. It's that with, like, Peanuts-style unison talking, which are the two creepiest audio sensations. Your elected Charlie Brown. No. You're mm-hmm. the biggest man in town. Negative. Nope. Nope. Tell me, how do you like it now? I, Which I think is the subtext of any unison talking directed at Charlie Brown, right? I mean, it's just what I want. I just want to start peppering it into conversations. Like, yeah, I will get guacamole. Thank you very much, Chipotle. Tell me, how do you like it now? Sir, you'll have to leave. I'm going to get used <laughs> to hearing, sir, you'll have to leave an awful I meant lot. questions about the midterm. Yeah. <laughs> Molly, as a musician, like, I'm a music nerd, and when I hear stuff like that, my heart dies. As a musician, I I can only imagine you must go apoplectic. I mean, have you heard the theme song to this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but you were were actively not trying, and it's still very good – but that's for our fun little podcast that you and I and our friends enjoy. This was on national television. Yeah. No, it's – I mean, I generally – I think you have sort of more of an insight as to how television is made. Um, but animation is kind of this black box that I don't – to you know, to hear like the people that make stuff like Steven Universe talk about it even, which I imagine are pretty humane animation conditions. It's sure. it, it sounds like this, they are constantly in a state of panic, you know, trying to get the thing out the door on time. Yes. And that's very – like just given with the like – that they reneged on the name of the episode after it had already aired. You know, it seems like maybe the theme song was the last thing they went, well, how do we fill the, we, I mean, we, okay, do we have a cold open? Let's just use Sally being angry. Okay, got it, check. Um, And then, uh, like, it's just kind of like they have to kind of yes and through the whole production process. It sounds like they recorded the theme song while they were running out the door to get to the bar before happy hour was over. It, yeah, it does sound like they, they hummed it for these children once and took the second take and then went, okay, good, fine. Good, good go. If you stayed here any longer, we'd have to hire tutors for you and we we're not going to do that and we have to get to the bar. Goodbye. <laughs> Kids, turn off the lights. Bye. Zzz. Yeah, they're out. We get into the episode uh, after the greatest theme song in the history of recorded music and we pick up uh, right where the action left off with Sally walking into the house and throwing her things everywhere and she's furious and she grouses about school and Charlie Brown says what's wrong and then does a thing uh, that uh, every white man does I have actually done on this podcast listening back to old episodes which is asking a question and then not waiting for an answer to be given so, I mean, sometimes I do also edit out longer, like long-winded answers on my part because I'm like, oh, we wandered into lump theory and then it just got <laughs> gross. 
So that is that. Some of that is is me. Some of that's my bad. Oh, but some of it is me, and it is definitely a thing that Charlie Brown is doing because he's just like, <laughs> "What's wrong, Sally?" And then Sally doesn't even take a fucking breath, and he's just like, "Don't you know decimals and fractions?" <laughs> What's the matter, Sally? Why are you upset? Is your teacher giving you trouble again? I had this theory in the last episode that Sally is as un- incompetent as her brother, and that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like school's a pretty easy walk for her. I believe her when she says that things are basically going okay for her in school. Don't you understand fractions and decimals? No, I don't find it hard. In fact, I even got a hundred in my test yesterday. She, she has a bunch of, I don't even want to talk about it, but she has a bunch of dad jokes that they basically spoon feed this child. Um, Boy, they and, those jokes. But like, oh, we're skipping over breakfast. I don't want to skip over the breakfast sequence. It's the... I, it's the most important meal of the day. So, oh, and we, nor did we mention the big punchline. Charlie Brown is like, is it this? Is it this? Is it decimals? You don't hate all men. You just hit right uh, you know, or whatever. And then Sally's just like, I can't reach the lockers. Blackout. So Charlie Brown says he'll help. And Sally's like, oh, and I need you to do one other thing. And he's like, okay. Let's go have breakfast. They have a scintillating conversation about what they're going to have for breakfast. And Charlie Brown's just like, Maybe I'll have a piece of toast. I'm never very hungry in the morning. Very relatable. And Sally uh, does one of her cute little dad jokes, which is like, You can't go to school without a rousing breakfast. It's a known fact that, that all of our country's presidents started each day with a rousing breakfast. I don't know how they managed to get together every morning. But I guess that's one of those things about government I don't understand. Kids say the darndest thing. I hate (laughs) kids say the darndest things jokes. I hated it as a show. I hate it as a concept. I I don't like celebrating people saying wrong things. I do not find it adorable. Molly Lewis, where do you stand on children saying dumb things? I, I, I'm not in favor. Yeah, get because smarter, I- kids. Hey, we're Molly and Josh, and we got a PSA for you kids out there. Get smarter. <laughs> and, and I think also, there. I think we've talked about this before, that there's a difference between having a child say something in a comic strip and then having a human child give that voice for the for television. And yes. it, the, the exact same lines are just going to sound weird coming out of an authentic child, a genuine, verifiable child. <laughs> Can I see your papers, please? You're a child. Stamp. <laughs> Yeah, and then it's also – it's weird. You don't generally hear stick sh- sh- jokes, if that makes sense. Like, it's very – this morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I'll never know. Like, it it's is. like – it's a real badump. I will say one thing about uh her line about the presidents, as uh, hacky as it is. Uh It's on message for the rest of the special. It sort of lets us know, like, oh, this maybe this will be about government, uh, as opposed to other specials that we've watched where 15 to 20 minutes go by before any evidence or shred of a plot comes up. That must be what they were thinking when they – because I'm sure that the cold open and then this excruciating breakfast and waiting for the bus sequence that we're about to go into um, – <laughs> They they must have just found, like, well, what's a strip that involves Charlie Brown and going to school? Well, there's this thing with Sally. Okay, so, th- I mean, on the on the Peanuts, the official Peanuts website, you can search all the strips by character and by keyword, which oh, yeah. I'm sure they did not have at their disposal at the time. 
No. There's no way. They had a, they had a Grey Garden-esque stack of old newspapers. Just a card catalog of folded up papers. <laughs> Strips cut out of the, the newspaper. The Charlie like- Decimal System. <laughs> Into the scintillating breakfast scene comes one Snoopy Brown uh, who and the jazzy music plays, and that lets us all know that Snoopy is going to do something fucking hysterical. And you know what he does? He makes a big breakfast and eats it. He went full lights and display contest on that breakfast. <laughs> I, there must be a network note, because this has come up in other uh, specials, where it's like, people love it when Snoopy eats food. Make sure that that, like uh, Short Summer Charlie Brown, a full 25 minutes of that episode is just like, what's Snoopy going to cook now? Oh, oh, hot dogs. He ate them. I wonder if uh, this had anything to do with the fact that Scooby-Doo went on the air in 69 and this went out in 72. So maybe networks just went, well, the people have spoken and they want to see dogs eating sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. That was a a huge directive on all of the heads of networks. Please. Who's got a cartoon dog? Make me the sandwich. Just do it. It works. And, of course, using the law of this universe, whenever somebody's happy, everybody else has to be mortified. So Snoopy enjoys his breakfast, and then Charlie Brown goes, Ugh! Like, and I'm not exaggerating, it's that gross. Molly, hit us with that, uh. Ah! Ugh, there it was. There <laughs> he's He's disgusted. He's disgusted by his dog enjoying a rousing breakfast. So Charlie Brown and uh, Sally go and put their coats on. Charlie Brown, disgusted by the fact that the dog made and ate his own breakfast, totally fine with the dog packing their lunches for them, which mm-hmm. uh, even as a dog owner, I feel like is a bridge too far. I don't know if I want my dog handling my food. Look, a dog may- – and I love my dog. Would you want your cat to make you breakfast? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> she cleans her butthole with her face. No way. <laughs> that would be her campaign slogan. <laughs> you can trust me. I clean my butthole with my face. Paid for it by citizens. I know it's done. <laughs> cleaning their butthole with their face. They go to the bus, Charlie Brown and Sally. They go to the bus. She does a joke about like a hundred feet bus stop. And it's, it's so It's dumb. such a long walk. It's such. Each kid has two feet, right? 100 feet means the bus holds 50 kids. It's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. And then they get on the bus and then Charlie Brown mansplains lockers for 45 minutes. Typical. And it is it is as boring as I'm describing it now, but times 45 minutes. And it's the first He's, five minutes of this special, of this like 22-minute thing. Yeah. It what were really, you thinking? CBS. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get to what Sally's real sort of – uh, motivation for going to school today was and what she needed her big brother's help for, which is the show and tell scene where she brings up her brother in front of the class and says, this is my brother. Here he is. And now I've done my show and tell. And then Charlie Brown leaves and is, well, cause she, she's like, stand up straight. I want to get a good grade. Don't. Be, Can don't you imagine if the, if the teacher was like, well, it was pretty good, but. But your, your brother's your a brother. loser, so F minus minus. Yeah, and his posture's for shit. You know what? I think we're all going to have to watch the old educational film Posture Pals. Charlie Brown, stand behind this sheet. 
We're going to look at you. And Charlie Brown says this is the most humiliating. on the back of your head. <laughs> and Charlie Brown says this is the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to me, which leads me to believe that he has the memory of Dory from Finding Nemo. Because, like, all his life is is humiliation. Do you remember from an earlier special when three girls ran around him and sang how he was a loser that nobody could love? In in comparison, this seems this seems like a day at Sandals Resort. All he had to do was to nobody laughed, nobody said anything. Everyone just sort of stared at him, and then he walked away. Like if I were Charlie Brown, I'd be like, "This is the best fucking day of my life." Great, you talked me up to her class. You're welcome. Goodbye. Yeah, dude, I'm out. Brother of the year. Boom. Yeah, I did it. I explained to her how a locker works for 45 minutes. I stood in place. I listened to her dad jokes. And then I walked away. This is the greatest. This is the greatest day. That's what this episode should be called. This is the greatest day of your life, Charlie Brown, because you didn't fuck anything up. This isn't on you, Charlie Brown. (laughs) Six minutes into the episode, we have a plot. This, I feel like, is a new record. This, I feel like, is like they all came back to do this special and they're all wearing sunglasses and they all had sharp haircuts and they were all like, all right. No more of this fucking around. We're doing Charlie Brown specials. We're going to give the people what they want. We're going to have our plot six minutes in. Because in the last episode, we did not get an inkling of a plot until literally 15 minutes. So they have, they are, they're more efficient by half. They're nailing it. You make the blanishment department sound like an episode of Entourage. <laughs> I'm not complaining. It's just, it's very good. But there's like now a whole blandishment canon in my head. Of, like, them hanging out at Whiskey A Go Go. <laughs> the Blandishers. They all have matching jackets. A little bit Entourage, a little bit West Side Story, mm-hmm. and a lot of illicit substances. Everyone stares at a bulletin board, uh, which was, uh, which for old people like us, we know that bulletin boards were basically the internet before the internet was invented. Uh, mm-hmm. that's the only way that you could like, how can I get messages to other people? How can I find out the events of the day? Well, I'll just stand here and stare for as long as I can. And eventually somebody will pin something. And in this, we have, uh, the student council elections. And Linus says, Charlie Brown, you'd make a good president. Molly Lewis, I ask you. What could Linus possibly be basing this? Whatever whatever it is they saw in him that made them go, oh, you know, this guy, he should be the president, is probably the same thing that made them go, he should direct the Christmas play. Right. You know who would be the right guy for this job? Charlie Brown. Don't know why. Because they know he's going to fuck up, and then they know that they can give him crap for it, and all of their hands are clean. And even Charlie Brown is like, I don't think I'm going to win. And I don't want to. And Linus is like, but wouldn't it be great if, you know, they count all the votes and then everybody shouts the title of this episode? You're elected, Charlie Brown? Except that's no longer the title of this episode. Basically, the Van Pelts play like good Van Pelt, bad Van Pelt. uh, Because Linus is like, you should run for student council president. And Lucy's like, great, great idea. I'll go take some polls. And then comes back two seconds later and is like, hey, I just took some polls and nobody wants to vote for you. So we're going to put up Linus. Uh, Lucy goes around. Comes back and we're about to get to know, uh, Lucy's polling technique intimately. And, uh, I'm going to say she didn't pull very hard. She just swung open a classroom door and was like, Hey, would any of you vote for Charlie Brown? No. Okay. Thanks. 
You mean, yo, you mean that son of a bitch with the terrible posture who's only his little sister's older brother because he was born first? Boo! <laughs> yeah, we didn't mention that's the thing Sally says about him in her show and tell presentation is that he's got shitty posture and that he's only her older brother because he was born first, which I think is the only qualification you'll find, Sally. For show and tell today, I have a treat for you. I'm presenting my big brother. Now, actually, he's my big brother only because he was lucky enough to be born first. <laughs> Can't argue that. <laughs> Can't fight City Hall. Here's a thing that would have made this episode make sense. If Linus had seen Charlie Brown standing up in front of the classroom for show and tell and said one thing like, oh, Charlie Brown, you held that room well, or you look good in front of a bunch of people, or anything. But... It's almost like there are weird gaps in this episode, some of which are filled in by the comic strip, which Molly will talk about in a bit. But uh, so Lucy pulls nobody and they all stand there and they go like, well, I guess Charlie Brown will not run for student body president. What happens now? What happens now, Molly? They decide to put up Linus. <laughs> oh, oh, uh-uh. No. No, no, no. No. We got to. We got to see a dog doing things. Oh, that's right. It has been minutes since we've seen a dog doing things. And here is the introduction, the uh, television debut of one Mr. Joe Cool and the Joe Cool song. Joe Cool. And because we have recorded this episode out of order... Uh, in an upcoming episode, we are going to talk about the Joe Cool song for hours and hours. But uh, we we talk about it a little bit in our episode with Allie Gertz at the end of uh, season one. We talk about it there as well, but we also talk about it in an upcoming episode with Ms. Kayla Kagan and mm -hmm. Ms. Amy Spaulding, because that's the episode where Joe Cool also is a grocery checkout guy, which is not very cool at all. But in this, he's all cool. And he walks around in his sunglasses and his T-shirt with his own name on it, which I feel like we all need T-shirts with our own name on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the song is like, Joe Cool walking around. Hey, look, it's a water fountain going to town. You know, and uh, he tries to hold the water fountain for gals passing by, which is this a power move? It's when I first saw this as a kid, I understood that to be like a sort of chivalrous kind of gesture, but I only knew that because I had seen people attempt it in other cartoons. It's not a thing I've ever seen in practice. It's wildly impractical as far as an act of chivalry goes, because basically, like the proximity between where the water comes out and where the handle is, you're basically saying, hey, I'd like to put my hand right next to your face. Which Here, little lady, let me turn this very lightweight knob for you. By the way, I hope you don't mind that a dog's paw is uncomfortably close to a source of water that's going into your mouth. <laughs> By the way, I've also made you sandwiches. See, that's the, you just lead with the sandwiches, Joe Cool. Yeah. The thing I've always loved is, and I think we talk about this in the next episode, just how literal the Joe Cool song lyrics are. Oh. And, which, which I, you know, model myself after as a songwriter. Because he's, I think they just had Vince Guaraldi watch the special and just kind of riff on like, now he's walking to class. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is a this is a note that I took for myself. I'm going to say I probably took this note late at night. Is the voice singing the Joe Cool song God? Is it a voice that only Snoopy hears? 
Is it a voice that only I hear? Please write in and tell me you hear the voices. I should not watch these episodes after midnight. I feel like I get into a weird place. And then, uh, and then Snoopy gets called up to the front of the class. There's a problem on the chalkboard. Joe Cool walks up. The, the singing voice of God says, better learn to add now, which is like, I mean, Snoopy probably should have thought of that on the way up. But why would the teacher call on a dog in the first place? I don't know if he was called on. I think he was just like, well, let me, let me go suss this problem out, you guys. Sort of like, it's basically the Peanuts version of the fantasy sequence from the top of Rushmore. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Snoopy puts, uh, chalk dust on his paw. And the solution is paw print. And then he is thrown out of the school. That, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I'm well, sorry, dog. We can't dog. have dogs doing math. Poorly. All the kids if- took notes and they said that the answer on the test is paw print. We can't have that. <laughs> yeah, woven within this is a gag where uh, Snoopy keeps getting his thumb caught uh, in a three ring binder. And uh, to me, it was the funniest, best and most relatable part of this episode. So relatable. And I think they must have, the network must have demanded, we need more dogs eating sandwiches and we need more dogs fighting inanimate objects. They love it. They love both of those. It's just sandwich. I I think later in this season, we're going to get to Snoopy wrestling a chair in the Thanksgiving special. Is that right? That is absolutely right. But it finds, I found myself thinking the ultimate culmination of this would be Snoopy fighting a sandwich. Oh, God. (laughs) Stay tuned. We go back to the playground where Lucy is addressing her – this is a fun thing in this episode. Everybody just stands in perfect groups, like two lines, just in formation uh, at all times, and Lucy just addresses them like Patton. Charlie Brown's not going to run. We reiterate that, like, nobody in school thought he had any chance. So who's going to run? And Sally's like, maybe Linus should do it. Lucy says, eh, sure, what the fuck, I guess. And then pulls the other kids in school. And we meet all of the other kids in school who... It's like they've been saving up character design for these five garbage characters that we meet. Because all of these kids look great. Yeah, there's, I think, a kid with a Charlie Brown head with, like, Linus hair. There's We saw five. I think five was there at the bulletin board. Oh, yeah, five was at the bulletin board. The first kid that she uh, she pulls, uh, he looks kind of like a slightly better thought out Shermie. Uh, but you're right. He's got the Linus hair. She, uh, she pulls two really, really stylish looking kids who just have their mod looks together. These two guys, their hair is great. Their outfits are great. They literally look like they're going to go play. They're going to go play at the whiskey, uh, for the blandishment department. It looks like a crossover episode where like two of the Beach Boys just kind of snuck in there. <laughs> oh, and uh, Lucy's polling technique is that she's going to punch everybody in the chops unless they say Linus, which uh, leads me to ask, where was this for Charlie Brown? But maybe she just she had it hadn't occurred to her like, oh, if I just beat people up, they'll say whatever I want. Here's a question. Do you think that Lucy really conducted that first poll where she was like, oh, nope, Charlie Brown's a nope? Or do you think she just kind of went into the ladies' room, came back out two seconds later? and was like, well, my conclusive scientific process says that we shouldn't put up Charlie Brown. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly she's the only one who seems to have a longer memory than 32 seconds. So maybe she in her head did the math and was just like, no, he's terrible at everything. We always do this, guys. She is the only one who learns somewhat from her mistakes. Ooh. 
Well, and and she also, I mean, while also learning to exploit other people's mistakes, which yes, is absolutely the two key, uh, the two keys to power. So she interviews all of the handsome kids in school, and uh, one of the kids says, uh, "Oh yeah, he gave me half a sandwich. I'll vote for anybody who takes me out to lunch." Which cemented in my head, like, "Oh yeah, that's a, that's an artist, that's a musician." And then finally, like. Uh, the other kid, uh, not super handsome. I described them uh, as a fetal pig version of Charlie Brown. Mm. Just sort of like the first time that uh, Charles Schultz drew Charlie Brown. It was like, no, that's not quite right. That's not quite baked yet. But she punches everybody in the chops and the la- except the last person. And she's like, are you going to vote for Linus? And this kid's like, nuh-uh. Well, what if he did this? Yeah, it's not going to happen. What if you fixed everything? If you knew that he was going to solve all the problems of the whole world, would you vote for him? No. Well, why not? And she never threatens violence. And I think it's because maybe she's just had a long day and her hand hurts. Like maybe she's punched too many people and she's she's run out of ways to punch people. But finally he's like, Because I'm the one who'd be running against him. And then Lucy blushes, which I didn't know was a thing she was capable of. Like why? Why is she embarrassed? It's a it's an excellent point. Why didn't she just punch this dude? Yeah, like like no, my brother will run unopposed. Boof. Yeah. <laughs> He's just got that. Sir, we don't know this kid as Russell Anderson yet, but rest assured, y'all, this kid is Russell Anderson. And that's not a reference. That's the kid's name. That's the name they chose for this garbage character. And he must have some sort of magnetism. He must have some sort of aura about him. Some sort of unpunchability. Maybe he's like the principal's kid or something. Like he's the child of a prominent lump. Oh. Oh, the fix is in. Because he's not from the strip. He's not. This is his only appearance in any animated special. So really, like, all the cards are in the air in terms of where this kid sits in the canon. Like, he's just kind of this wild card. Is it possible that Roy dyed his hair blonde? Well, Roy goes to a different school so this may just be roy's this neighborhood counterpart although roy kind of disappeared from the scene so for all we know roy like (laughs) went underground roy got sick of being peppermint patty's like i'm just peppermint patty's eunuch i just stand here and i never say anything and i just have this hat this stupid hat which i don't even like bleached his hair and moved to the lucy neighborhood he went on the run now grasping for power right oh no once marcy came on the scene he was like it's all over for me this used to be a great gig, standing next to Peppermint Patty and saying nothing. She'll just feed this dog root beer? Where is this dog from? There's no such thing as the internet. Nobody can look up what I've done before. My name is Russell Anderson. Yeah, that's right. Russell yeah. Anderson's my name. So we meet, So so now all of the players are in place, and we cut to one of 58 school assemblies in this episode. Um, as far as I can tell, a school day at the school is recess, show and tell, more recess, assembly time. Yep. And that's it. And then the school vomits you out. (laughs) They all sit there and, uh, and, uh, Linus is overwhelmed by how full everybody, you know, the place is. And you get the sense like, oh, uh, Linus is kind of like weirded out about being a candidate. She's like, shh, be quiet. Lucy's be quiet. Don't be overwhelmed. Shut up. Schroeder's going to introduce you. How did Schroeder get this job? 
it, maybe it's like in in play it again you know lucy was like hey schroeder great news i've set up a gig for you uh you're going to play piano at the pta meeting so maybe in this one sort of a like she saw what peppermint patty did with his pta meeting was like yeah that's yeah. it i'll book events but why does it i oh i was about to ask why doesn't lucy introduce it but i wonder if that's like a conflict of interest it must be even though the- she's the campaign manager schroeder gets up and talks about beethoven and then closes his uh, introduction with Linus is sort of like that too. And that's the only time I've ever found Schroeder funny or interesting. That has no ramifications on anything. Linus accepts the nomination. Everyone cheers. And then we're, we're right into the campaign. Uh, and uh, a more accurate title for this episode would have been your Lucy's assistant, Charlie Brown, because Lucy immediately is like, all right, I'm the campaign manager, Charlie Brown. You do all of the work. Put your own staff together if you need to. Which he then subcontracts to his dog which, immediately. Which he's, and then he says, uh, yeah, all right, Snoopy, you go make some signs. Put your staff together if you need to. Uh, and this is the, uh, this is the television debut of Woodstock. And, uh, and then we throw back to Lucy and Linus, uh, like practicing for the campaign trail and Linus, in a scene that feels like it was cut for time, Linus immediately goes full demagogue. Yeah. Like, he goes from like, oh, man, there sure are a lot of people in this auditorium. I don't know if I can do this. And then Lucy's, like, asking him questions. And he's just sh- like, what do you think of water fountains? I'm for them. How about recesses? They're great. What about sick pay? Sure. And he's, like, real shouty and crazy. Now you did some snooping into the uh, into the into the Charlie Decimal system, Molly. The comic strip gives us a little better picture of this, right? Yeah, because and in in the strips originally, um, they never considered uh, Charlie Brown to run for the presidency. But uh, Lucy approaches Linus and was like, "Hey, uh, do you want to consider being school president? I'll be your campaign manager." And Linus is like, oh, I, "I don't know." And she says, "Think of the power." And he goes, I can't, we're kind of dancing about architecture here, but just, he he makes this face, this kind of twisted grimace. I'm looking at it right now, and it's like if the Cheshire Cat was holding a knife. (laughs) Precisely. They're all like shapes you have seen in Scholl's drawings before, but like, I really have to give the man credit. It's very evocative. And then he goes, I'll do it. And then the uh, Schroeder saying a few words about Beethoven, that's from the strip. Linus, upon accepting the nomination, just goes, we will do away with cap and gown graduation and we will do away with sixth grade dance parties, which is somehow a very popular position. Before we get to that uh, in the episode, we have what I think is the only meta joke in any Charlie Brown episode. And it's a it's a cute little bit where Snoopy and Woodstock are making campaign signs. We do a bit where uh, Snoopy basically bashes Woodstock in the head with a hammer. He's fine. He's He's fine. fine. He's fine. Although Woodstock's first and last appearance in the television <laughs> canon. Uh, Woodstock makes a sign, uh, but it's just the little slash lines that he talks in uh, in the comic strip, which I thought was the only time that the specials seem to acknowledge that there is a comic strip reality and that's how Woodstock talks. Uh, but then we get into my favorite part of the episode, and I feel like their favorite part of the episode as well. I feel like for an episode about politics, it's not particularly pointed or satirical. Uh, I mean, mostly the big, the big theme of it is politicians make promises and then they do not keep them, which is like, 
nobody, you know, the, the, the lid has not been blown off this particular controversy. Like that's, that's pretty safe, but they do tackle the call-in show, which I think was a much bigger part of campaigning back in ye olden days. Before there was an internet, there were bulletin boards, and then there were cuckoos who called into radio call-in shows. And this this makes fun of that very well. It, what it reminded me of was the question portion at any convention, at any panel at I said just- convention. I just died inside with you, Eva. It's true. At least nobody says this isn't a question. Yeah, because there's definitely um, – they lampoon the kinds of dumb questions very well. Um, the big, long statement uh, that kind of dovetails into – and Lucy expresses frustrations that I have felt at so many of these, like, you know, women in nerd music kind of panels that I've been on. I don't know how – how you can vote for somebody, and I'm glad that I have a chance to ask this question. And I hope you don't mind, because I thought about this question, and I think it's good to be able to ask questions of a candidate. I have a question for you. Yes? What? What is your question? Question? Oh my gosh, I forgot what the question is. Lucy has no time for this. No, rightly so. The end. And in the sort of the... (laughs) convention Q&A sort of segment, you can't go ah, and hang up on someone at a panel. It's I, I envy Lucy that ability. I really do. What is the dumbest question or statement presented as a question you have ever received? Uh, somebody asked me if... Ah! But that's not going in the podcast. Um. Can, we, can we take that over again? And can you... Oh, God. Yeah, I guess there's no way. Can you come up? Is there one that can go in the podcast? That's amazing, by the way. You should have just like dropped a, a sandbag on that person's head. I mean, I, I, I don't. I try. I don't really save space in my brain for them. Is the thing, so I can't. I can't recall one. Okay. Um, this was not a question directed at me, but it was. Uh, it's my. It's probably one of my favorite things I've ever seen at a con ever. I. This was at uh, Emerald City Comic Con a few years back. Uh, and it was a panel about the geek dating scene. Mm. And are you okay? It sounds yeah. like Mo- Molly, have you swallowed your entire tongue? <laughs> I'm just bracing for the geek dating scene scene. And, do- and by the way, don't worry. John Roderick was on this panel. That is the guy. That's the guy I want to get all my romance advice from. <laughs> uh, it, it was actually very fun. It was a good, funny, light panel. But, uh, and it was like 45 minutes of everything was okay. Everybody was making good jokes. People got up and asked questions. And then this little sawed off kid, a little, like a little wisp of a thing, guy, full Deadpool, uh, including, and his face was covered, mm-hmm. got up to the mic and said, uh, this is not a question, but it's more of an observation. So, like, right away, that's like the opening of the national anthem of you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, once you have made that statement, you are – you're terrible. He said, there is such a thing as the friend zone. Oh. And then what happened was everybody from the panelists to everyone else in the room went, boo! And then the kids sat down. And it was perfect. <laughs> that's – 
It was a perfect moment I will take with me to my grave. I want that painted on a fresco on my goddamn ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) So Linus answers, we'll keep none of this probably. Linus answers, uh, no questions. Everybody has nothing but stupid things to say. And uh, it's the only time in this world that I feel like Lucy's rage is warranted. Oh, absolutely. Like in that moment, we were all Lucy. Uh, and then we're back to yet another school assembly Yay. Uh, because they must they must have had two minutes of class, two hours of recess, and now it's time for an assembly. And I made the note that they actually bothered to animate the audience, like in the long shot, which I thought was pretty amazing, considering in an earlier shot, there was a pig pen and his dirt clouds remained perfectly static around him. Which I accept. I just accept that he he's just he's just got dirt like kind of frozen like suspended in time around him. Is he neither lump nor man? Is this some sort of like third state of being that he's slowly transforming into? <laughs> I I try not to lean on on lump theory to explain uh, blandishment errors, but let's get into this. If the if the peanuts were made X Men, if they had mutant powers. <laughs> From the incident. By the way, I am sure if one were to type in Peanuts X-Men, your computer would crash. I I, I think think clearly Pigpen would be Quicksilver, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that stands to reason. Uh, I feel feel pretty confident that Charlie Brown would be Professor X because bald. Bald, yeah. Lucy seems like a lock for Jean Grey slash Phoenix, right? I mean, she explodes in anger. Linus is definitely the Scott Speedman of the group. Uh, so that's, uh, he's Cyclops. Uh, this fan art that I found posits that Snoopy is Wolverine, which I think I accept. He definitely has temper control issues and violence issues. Yeah. This all scans. Yeah, do your, do your own Google image search, listener. You'll find it's not, it's not bad. I just did it myself. It's safe, I promise. Safe oh, search good. on, though, just in case. And then, uh, so this isn't like a debate. This is just the candidates talking. It's just a town hall, kind of. Yeah. yeah. But not even because it's not like they're answering questions. It's it's just like get to like an informal like each candidate's going to talk for a minute and then go back to class. Uh, Russell gives what I think is actually a pretty good speech. I'm very honored to be running for student body president. If I'm elected, I promise to do the best I can. Thank you. Boy, now we're really in. That's the worst speech I ever heard in my whole life. It's a little boilerplate. But Lucy's reaction is like Russell had gotten up there and is like, you know what I think we should do? Uh, I think we should, uh, I think we should set the school on fire. And I think we should all live in the trees. Like Lucy's reaction is like, that's the worst speech I've ever heard. You got this in the bag, Linus. And then Linus gets up and it's like, now, again, in the comic strip, you get the sense that Linus has always had this weird, like, demagogish, authoritarian streak. But Linus gets up, and he's really just like, Friends, schoolmates, teachers, countrymen, if I'm elected student body president, I will purge the kingdom. My administration will release us from our spiritual Babylon. What? Yeah. Excuse me? Pardon? What? What happened? It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't shout like, and the school store is a den of thieves. This Gamora, where we find our education. 
My administration will bring down the false idols in high places. Here's the thing this episode is missing. Uh, for me, I almost feel like they needed a scene where Linus had a very sensible platform and then Lucy's the one who's like, uh-uh, you gotta, you gotta sexy this up for the masses. You gotta, you gotta go loud. Like, really, all it would have taken would have been Russell Anderson gives a boring ass speech and Linus is like, that was a pretty good speech. And Lucy goes, no, bad speech. You have to really fire him up. You got trouble in River City. That's all it would have taken to make it sound like this hasn't been just like incubating inside Linus this whole time. I'm sorry. I will not be able to appear before the school board. They meet at 8 o'clock, and I go to bed at 7.30. Aww. He's just a kid. He's a little boy, but he's talking like a big man. Aww. Then he does the rounds with reporters afterwards. Uh, Violet comes up to him. Because new information is being introduced, like we never knew that Violet worked for the school paper, Violet just walks up and is like, Hi, I'm writing something for the school paper because that's a job that I have. And then a few minutes later, Schroeder's like, I'm taking photographs for the school paper because that's a thing that I do. All right, we good? Maybe you wouldn't know that by me carrying this camera, but that's what I do. Violet asks him some questions and he goes into his like crazy Alex Jones talk again. Like, I intend to straighten things out. We are in the midst of a moral decline. And it's like, where is he getting this shit? And... Violet's response is just like, you know what? I'm just going to say that you're happy to be running and that you're a really good guy and that you like things. And then Linus says, The press is against me. At which point anybody watching it in 2017 goes, woof. That is from the strip, though. That's from in 1964. That was still a, a feasible joke. Yep, uh, 100%. And then in 1972 when they ran it, when this actually was on television. Uh, and it's still a feasible joke. The only weird part is that it's not like it's not like Violet is like, oh, okay, I'm going to say that you are going to you want all of the teachers to be murdered or something like that. Like she's just like, I'm just gonna say you're a real nice guy. And Linus has a problem with this. Like, oh no, don't no, whatever you do. And again, this goes back to like that one scene that we needed where it's just like, if you come across as boring, you're not going to win. And then uh, Schroeder's like, I'm going to take a picture. In order to make it look sort of homey, I thought we'd pose you with a dog. And Snoopy is in the Joe Cool outfit. And Schroeder's like, yeah, no. I've changed my mind. And then that's that's the dealing with the press. And then we are back to another assembly. How long is this election cycle? How many assemblies do they have to have? Like... This seems like this this campaign, this election, has screeched the school to a halt. I don't remember anything about – I mean, we didn't have a student body president when I was in grade school, certainly. Do you remember listening to campaign speeches for your – like like when you were in school? There were no speeches, and I don't even think there were responsibilities. I think it was more just like, oh, you know what? Like the teacher was like, ah – you know, I haven't found a way for kids to feel terrible about themselves this hour. I'll do something that's literally a popularity contest. Yeah, no, because it, it's – we didn't have a class election, but we had a speech contest, which, like, you could do a campaign speech as your speech if you wanted, but, like, you would just win for best speech. You wouldn't then become the position that you pretended to campaign for. Yeah. But I've always understood, like, student body elections, even, like, at high school level, to be just a simulation of the election process and not – 
vying for any particular power of any kind. We didn't have speeches, though. We had, um, because we had the closed circuit, like, tele, like, basically the call-in show thing. Oh, incredible. All of the, all the candidates made a campaign tape that they ran one morning as part of the, the announcements. Wait, so did you run for stuff? No, I, I was in the speech contest when I was in the fifth grade, and I pretended to run for student body president, but there was no such thing. Uh, and I came in second because I talked too fast. Aw. <laughs> yeah. What were your, uh, what were some of your, uh, what was your platform? Um, it was basically, I was like, I wanted some sort of lab to do homework at school because homework didn't make sense to me. I was like, I, I, we have teachers who are teaching us these things. Why aren't they there when we're doing the homework? Like that's when I need a teacher the most. And I offer also offered to give everyone who voted for me a pocket fisherman. This is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Of course you did. Uh, were kids excited about that? Were there, was there like a lot of rumbling? Like, holy shit, I saw that on TV. That thing's incredible. Goes no, right that, in your pocket. That's why I came in second is because the one that came in first was a big hit for the kids because she threw candy and she did a little cheer. Um, but Boo. all the parents, like all the parents got my jokes and the kids were like, what is a pocket fisherman? That's amazing. That's. <laughs> and that kind of really set the trajectory for the rest of my, my for all my content created to that point. I am imagining like it's just adult Molly, but a foot shorter. No, but that's it. No, no, no. It's adult Molly, but the exact same height and with not as good oh, skin. It's... Yeah, <laughs> I've been the same height since I was ten. Linus has this election in the bag, so says Lucy, and so says everybody. His poll numbers are like ninety-eight point two to to negative a million. Nobody likes this Russell Anderson kid. Uh, maybe something came out in the school paper saying that Russell Anderson is secretly Roy and he's been trying to put out those fires. Maybe there was some kind of oh, leak. Surely. I mean, if Lucy is the campaign manager, she must have put out like Russell Anderson says that he likes the custodian, you know, like that kind of thing. Well, I know what video we are going to do to go along with this podcast when we <laughs> drop it. <laughs> That's going to be a hoot. Yes. Uh, so Linus gets up. And he's like, we got this in the bag. And he's like, hey, everyone, I got this in the bag. And everybody in the audience is shouting like, right on and tell it like it is. You tell them. Tell it like it is. And it always reminds me that there is nothing worse, music notwithstanding, than when the Peanuts characters try and be funky. Oh, yeah. It's just like, oh, no, 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 no. Please don't drop slang. I agree. I think we've agreed that the only character in this universe that is allowed to lay on the slang is peppermint patty who is absent from this episode so there can be no slang right. and what goes well and the thing that works with peppermint patty and the joke there is that she talks like a fucking damon runyon character she's always and it confuses everybody they're like lucille yeah what 23 skidoo getting the no for the hey hey whoopee sly boots yeah no yeah because every every other character in the Peanuts gang is Richard Nixon on laughing, going like "Sock it to Sock. me." Like that's <laughs> that's what this episode needed uh, when uh, Linus goes on laughing. But Linus has got this in the bag. But because this is a Charlie Brown special, you can't ever just have something in the bag. Something's got to screw you up. So Linus is like, "Well, as long as I'm up here and talking to a captive audience who loves me." It's time to get down to brass tacks. I decided to say a few words about the great pumpkin. At which point, the entire school laughs him off the stage, rightfully so. 
Linus talks about the Great Pumpkin. Everybody laughs him off stage. Lucy's like, you're an asshole. Maybe. And then she instantly gets pulls. It's like, all right, well, it's 50-50 now. Dropping 50 points in the polls is a pretty amazing thing. They really are not. They're anti-Great Pumpkin. You speak not the name of the pumpkin. And Linus doesn't even accept that he fucked up. He's just like, I just can't believe so many people don't want to hear about the Great Pumpkin. And then we get a really – there's a couple – this is mostly like a blah kind of like manila envelope of an episode. But I really like the call-in scene. And then I really like this West Wing scene. Like, there's some actual thought and care that went into it. I don't know if we can drop in the entire speech, but let's drop in a little of it right here. We ring doorbells and make the posters and build up the candidate's image. And then he says something stupid and ruins everything we've done. The next time I do any campaigning, it's going to be for myself. Yeah, there it was. It wasn't that. That was actually, it was kind of thoughtful. It made you think about campaign workers in maybe a way that like kids certainly didn't and maybe adults didn't even. And it's like the pile of signs that vote that say vote Linus in a, in a big stack. Everybody just looking at them dolefully. Like, what did you think of the scene, Molly? I thought it was real nice. I, it, usually when um, Lucy puts a bunch of effort into something, say courting Schroeder or promoting Charlie Brown's spelling career, she immediately lashes out like, I did all this hard work and, you know, you screwed this up for me. And, you know, it's your fault. And but she just kind of, it was, it wasn't outrage like that. It was despondency. It was, it was actual defeat, you know, and it, it usually, like in any of these specials, it's usually you're following one character, maybe a B plot, but there's kind of no consequence. There's no physics to like your actions having consequences on other characters. But, you know, this kind of, this was a strain. It was, she actually worked hard and didn't just pull the string she normally pulls. Yeah, she just didn't sit there and go, Charlie Brown, spell better. Do you know what I mean? Like she just, she actually, she there was real sweat equity and- she, uh, the last line of that, uh, is something along the lines of like, uh, the next time I do this much work, I'm going to, I'll do it for myself. I'll run. And my note on that was, oh, now I want to see that special. I do too. That was more or less what you said to me when I, when I <laughs> decided to write the musical, cause I was writing it for a different project and you were like, well, if you're going to work that hard, just write a thing for yourself. And I went, oh, oh, you're right. I need help. Yay! <laughs> and uh, and now Thanksgiving versus Christmas is entering its third year on Broadway, and we're all very excited about that. Still can't believe tickets are nine hundred and fifty dollars. I know Lynn Manuel really did a good punch up job <laughs> on that one. Thanks, he's, Lynn. He's a buddy, but I do like that in the canon because I don't think this is in the strip. Uh, in the canon of the series, again, Lucy has learned, like, oh. I need to do things for myself. I need to stop doing these things where I am pulling the strings from backstage. Like, I need to run. I need to do things. I should be president. Like, I like that. I like that she has that moment of realization. Um, And I'm saddened that we kind of never, that that never played out. Or that wasn't a decision that she made five minutes into this special. That would have been amazing. And then we slam into the finale, 
which is, uh, I'm sure, pulse-poundingly exciting from the children of, for the children of America in 1972. People counting slips of paper. Yay. And Dixie, Dixieland uh, jazz music playing. Why, you, you were a musician, Molly. Do you have any idea, or feel free to make something up, why is Dixieland brass band jazz the music of elections? Well, what I do know is that the boater hat with the red, white, and blue ribbon around it is the official hat of campaigning for public office. Yes. So I assume those two things are related, and I just don't know what the uh, the explanation is. Listeners, if you have any idea why, I mean, it's certainly very pleasant. Um, that sort of come on and cast your vote. And that, you know, it's very exciting. It's like 82 votes for Linus, 81 votes for Russell Anderson. Like it is a split vote. And so much for the concept of anonymous tallying because a kid writes their vote, puts it in the box, and then Charlie Brown reaches in immediately as the kid is still standing there and goes, I'll vote for Linus. And it's like, well, why the fuck why didn't they I just hand it straight to Charlie Brown? Here, yeah, Charlie or, Brown, here's my vote. Read it. Or in one of these goddamn 92 uh, assemblies a day, just, okay, who wants to vote for Linus? Raise your goddamn hand. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, it's Linus. The last person to vote is Russell Anderson. Russell Anderson votes for Linus. And if Linus that is his wins. real name. If that is, if, if, if Russell Anderson is his real name, maybe he knows the jig is up. He's got to dye his hair again and get the hell out of town. I did wonder that because Russell Anderson had the tie-breaking vote. He could have voted for himself and been like, that's right, motherfucker. But like, he- No, I think he knew the jig was up. I think he knew that he had too many skeletons in his closet. Well, and he didn't have a big machine behind him like the Van Pelt administration. So maybe it was just he didn't want to have, you know, Lucy coming after him, which I'm sure is what would have happened. Sure. Or I'm not even sure what inspired Russell to run in the first place. He's definitely he's definitely standing there at the beginning of the episode when they're all looking at the board in the first place and like, oh, a student election, Charlie Brown, you should run. And Russell's standing there and doesn't say anything. Well, because like I wondered in the scene where uh, Lucy's taking her schoolyard poll and she's like asking like, oh, would you vote for my brother? No, I wouldn't. Well, why not? Well, because I'm going to run against him. Did Russell already know that or did he decide in that moment like – well, he's well. Why why aren't you voting for Linus? Well, he's not my candidate. Well, who is me? <laughs> or, me. or had he already like filed the paperwork and stuff? I think he already filed the paperwork. I think he got the idea when he was standing around and everybody was talking about election fever sweeping the school. He just he couldn't resist the siren song of public office, even though he was not, even though he had made mistakes. He's he like really Ant- likes he really likes Dixieland music is the thing. He didn't really think much. <laughs> Much past that. That's all I wanted. I just, I just, just wanted, wanted to hear that sweet election day jam. <laughs> and now that I've heard it, I'm good. I think, I think Linus is the better candidate. All of his actions in this episode make me think that Russell Anderson would have been a better guy. I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he selflessly gives up and then immediately runs to the men's room. Dyes his hair a different color, and he's off to the next town. I thought for sure that Linus would be like, and I'm going to bring the locker. The lockers are going to be shorter. I, I promise if I win. She never uh, – Sally never – oh, wait. Does she say he can fix the lockers when she's like, I think my sweet baboo should run? He can I don't, shorten the lockers. I don't think so. I think it's just like I support my sweet baboo in general because it's all I know yeah. how to do and it's all my character does in this episode. Boy, oh boy, we finally made it. Here we are. Now you go in and tell them exactly what 
what you're going to do to straighten out this school. And she's like sitting out there. Linus goes into the principal's office and she's like, they're going to make today a school holiday. And then Linus comes out like in a sweat. Like he was just doing Bikram yoga or something. What an ordeal. Well, I hope you told him. Well, not really. As a matter of fact, he told me. And that's enough to send Sally into a blind rage. She's walking on that razor's edge for the whole episode. Maybe that's what, maybe that's why they had her flipping out about her locker at the top is to set up like Sally's a loose cannon right now and is not to be trifled with. And Linus has stepped on her last nerve. Uh, Sally's had a bad day, all right? She goofed up show and tell. You were supposed to go in there and beat the principal senseless and install, and I would be your first lady. Uh, you know, and then we would rule this school with an iron fist. But no, Linus is just like, oh, I'm so, I'm sorry, Mr. Principal. You're right. I won't do anything without blah, blah, blah. blah. And for the second time in the history of these specials, a, a character is accused of being a sellout. He's sold out! We elected him and he's sold out! They're all the same! Promises, promises! You elect them and they weasel out of their promises! Yeah, Sally accuses Linus of being a sellout and it feels a little... I can at least see... The I can see what she's getting at by like he promised a bunch of things and then within 52 seconds of being elected was like, yep, I can't do any of them. And she's like, boo. And that's about like I said, that's about as much uh, political satire as we get in this thing. And then she kicks her locker in anger and her locker opens because she's the Fonz. Cue Dixieland jazz. And that's the special. That's that's the whole thing. And that's the whole thing. Not great. Not great, Molly. Not a great special. Not not my favorite. I mean, I'm glad it could have had a lot more garbage music than it did. And I was grateful not <laughs> grateful not to have garbage music to contend with as well, because I don't think my heart could take it. So Molly, tell me. How do you like it now? <laughs> I I don't I don't like it. <laughs> Josh, what have we learned? That Lucy should have just goddamn ran for office herself. 1972 uh, gender politics be damned. I think she could have done it. Oh, also, uh, don't mention the Great Pumpkin uh, when you're trying to get a job. I learned that dogs uh, are are just accomplished chefs. I've learned how the brown siblings get their lunch packed every day. Basically have just a butler dog that does it for them. I learned that after a certain point, I can get kind of tired of uh, Dixieland uh, brass music. So so you do not like it now? <laughs> well, let me tell you. How do I like it now? <laughs> I'll also tell you that I'm Josh Kagan. And I'm Molly Lewis. And this has been the Peanuts Gallery. Questions? Comments? Concerns? Tweet them at us at at Peanuts Podcast. You blockheads. Hey, you blockheads. It's Molly. If this is your first episode of Peanuts Gallery, welcome. If you are a returning listener of Peanuts Gallery, welcome back. Couple quick housekeeping things. As we've mentioned on the podcast before, we are active on Twitter at, at Peanuts Podcast. 
And we now also have a Facebook page, which can also be found at at Peanuts Podcast. We'll be posting memes and videos and threaded discussions of, about recent episodes, probably. Facebook and Twitter are both dumpster fires, and Josh and I know this perfectly well. But, you know, pick your poison. Uh, the other thing, which I am very excited about, I imagine you're listening to this podcast on a digital device with internet accessibility, and if that's not the case, please let me know what your hookup is, because I've always wanted to listen to podcasts pressed onto vinyl. But open up a browser window. Like, do, do it right now. And type into the address field, peanuts.gallery. You can add an HTTP colon slash slash at the front if you think you need to, but I don't think you need to. And if I did it right, then that should direct to our podcast page and should be a functioning web address. It's 2017, and we don't have flying cars, and we're nearing the meat lump incident, I'm sure. But I can make my podcast title its own web address, and I think that's pretty cool. Our next episode will focus on There's No Time for Love, Charlie Brown, which is available on the 1970s Volume 1 DVD collection. That's Peanuts 1970s, not just the 1970s in general. I wouldn't say this was a tentpole of the 70s as a decade. We will also be joined by special guests Kayla Kagan, that name sounds familiar, and Amy Spaulding. Banjo was also in the room, but at the time of recording, he could not be reached for comment. That will be up on June 30th. In the meantime, go to facebook.com slash peanuts podcast. Here's your discussion question. Is the voice singing the Joe Cool song God? 